Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well on what is the last Sunday of September, how crazy is that, and the fourth Sunday of our study of the Gospel of Mark. And again this morning, we will be looking at only two verses, those being verses 14 and 15 in Mark chapter 1. However, church, these are two really exciting verses because these two short and succinct verses capture profoundly the beginning of the public preaching ministry of Jesus Christ in Galilee, which comes on the heels, church, as we saw two weeks ago of the baptism of Jesus Christ, or when Jesus Christ was baptized by John in the River Jordan which Jesus did, as Matthew 3.15 explains, in order to fulfill all righteousness, meaning in order to follow perfectly the will of God and to identify himself perfectly with the children of God. And thus as Jesus then came out of the water at his baptism, verse 10 says that the heavens then were torn open, And the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, in essence, anointing Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and as the suffering servant who would ultimately then take away the sins of the world. And not only that, church, but God the Father then, he also pronounced in verse 11 that this man named Jesus, that he truly is my beloved Son and with whom I am well pleased. And thus with Jesus now, church, set apart as the suffering servant or set apart as the one who would take away the sins of the world, well, Satan then, the deceiver, the tempter, the serpent of old, he then instantly tries to destroy this plan by tempting Jesus to sin just like he did to Adam back in the Garden of Eden. However, unlike the temptation of Adam, this temptation of Jesus Christ, it took place over a span of 40 days as Jesus fasted all alone in the wilderness and culminated with Jesus Christ being tempted to turn stones into bread, to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple, and to finally fall down and worship Satan. And each time, church, Jesus resisted the temptation and responded to Satan with Scripture and concluded his temptation by ultimately saying to Satan, Be gone, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And with that church, Satan left Jesus, for Jesus passed the test and fended off the devil's temptations and maintained perfect obedience to God the Father, and thus accomplished what our first father, Adam, could not do, church, in the Garden of Eden. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, please also note here that Jesus Christ was sent into this world not just to do the will of the Father, not just to destroy the works of the devil, and not just to save sinners from their sin, but the King, Jesus Christ, as we will see today, He also came into this world in order to proclaim the message of God and to call sinners to repent and to believe the gospel, which at this time, church, takes us to our thesis statement this morning or to our main theme of the sermon this morning, 
which is this. In order to be a citizen of the king's kingdom, one must be confronted by the gospel message, repent of their sins, and believe in the gospel, for there is simply no other way. In order to be a citizen of the king's kingdom, one must be confronted by the gospel message, repent of their sins, and believe in the gospel, for there is simply no other way. Let's at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 1, specifically to verses 14 and 15. And if you are joining us this morning and do not own a Bible, please know that there is a Bible located in the chair in front of you with your name on it, meaning we want you to grab that Bible, to open it up to page 836, and to join us as we hear the Word of God together this morning. And if you do not own a Bible, please also feel free to take that Bible home with you today and to keep it, as we really do want you to have your own copy of the Word of God. Nevertheless, again, our text this morning, church, it is found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where Mark writes, Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for not only the work and the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, that we have been forgiven of our sins, Lord, we thank you that he has set the example for us by coming into this world to proclaim the message of salvation to man as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When Jesus Christ, the King, came into the world, the kingdom of God was at hand. For where the King is, so too is his kingdom. Lord, we thank you for sending the King. And Lord, we pray that wherever the king may go, whatever the king may do, whatever the king calls us to do, that we follow. Lord, open our eyes and our ears, soften our hearts this morning to your word. Lord, we ask that it motivate us, that it drive us, that we proclaim the gospel of God just like our Savior did that we articulate it with words to our brothers and sisters who do not know the King yet, Jesus Christ, and that we do not fall victim of giving them a message other than the message of God. Father, help me this morning, I pray. Give me the words to speak. Let them be humble. Let them be bold. Let them be confident this morning, not because of anything I do, but because they are your words. Let me show this dear flock, Jesus Christ, the King, I pray. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, in order for sinners to be saved from their sins, they first must be confronted by the gospel of God. In order for sinners to be saved from their sins, they first must be confronted by the gospel of God. Verse 14. 
which is that now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So verse 14 opens with Mark telling his readers that the public preaching ministry of Jesus Christ in Galilee, that it did not begin until after John the Baptist was arrested. And Mark will eventually share about the imprisonment and the death of John the Baptist later on in his gospel in Mark chapter 6. However, the point that Mark is trying to make here in sharing that John was arrested is that the ministry of John the Baptist is now complete. Is that the ministry of John the Baptist where he called all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem to repent of their sins and to be baptized as a sign of their repentance in order to boldly and faithfully and humbly prepare the way for the Lord that with his arrest that John's ministry should now be considered complete. And as William Lane puts it, it is now time for the ministry of Jesus Christ proclaiming the gospel to begin. Or as Eckerd Schnabel puts it, it is now time for the public preaching ministry of Jesus Christ to take center stage. And thus Mark shares with his readers in verse 14 that Jesus then came in to Galilee, or as Matthew chapter 4 puts it, Jesus then withdrew into Galilee. And just to make sure we are all on the same page here, church, Jesus Christ, after he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he then at some point goes into Judea. And as we see in the Gospel of John, it is during this time when Jesus cleanses the temple, and it is during this time when Jesus has his nighttime discourse with Nicodemus. Nevertheless, as we see in John chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus then leaves Judea in order to begin what many theologians call his public preaching ministry in Galilee. However, what I want us to focus on here, church, isn't necessarily the content of Jesus' message, as we will be looking specifically at the content of Jesus' message in verse 15. Instead, here in verse 14, I want us to pay particular attention to how Jesus Christ disseminated his message and exactly whose message Jesus Christ was determined to disseminate and or to share. And thus, let's begin this morning first with the how. Or how did God want, verse 14, his gospel, his good news, or his message of salvation to be delivered to the world by his son? And the answer that we see in verse 14 is by the proclamation of the gospel of God. Not by doing a little dance church, or by dressing up in a fancy costume, or by painting a pretty picture on stage. Not by doing a nature walk, or by watching a silly movie clip, listening to a secular song, or even by showing highlights of his favorite football team. But instead, Jesus Christ just simply and plainly and clearly articulated with words, proclaimed with words, and gave to humanity with words the gospel of God. Now I'm sure you have all heard the falsehood, church, that our actions and our kindness toward others do a better job of spreading the gospel than by preaching it, proclaiming it, and by lovingly articulating it with words to the lost. 
And thus let me be perfectly clear with you on this point or on this falsehood this morning, church. For if you have a family member who you love and who is not saved, simply by bringing them a meal when they are sick, that alone is not giving them the message they need in order to be saved from their sins. Or let me put it another way, for if you have a friend Christian who is not saved, a co-worker who is not saved, a child, a parent, or a loved one who is not saved, do not believe then for a second that by merely living a holy life around them, or by merely reading Christian books around them, or by merely caring for the least of these around them, that that in and of itself is giving to them the message that they need in order to be saved from their sins, because as kind and as loving and as wonderful as all those things might be, the only way Christian sinners have a chance to be saved from their sin is by being confronted by the gospel of God and thus need to have the gospel shared with them, proclaimed to them, and ultimately explained to them, since faith, church, it comes through hearing. For as Paul articulates in Romans chapter 10, for how can people believe in the message of salvation if they never hear it? And how can people hear the message of salvation if no one ever shares it with them? To which Paul concludes that faith then, that true, redeeming, regenerating, and justifying faith, that it comes through hearing, and thus the gospel of Jesus Christ, it must be made known then to sinners, church, before they can believe it. So if you then, brother Christian, sister Christian, desire to see your loved ones who are still dead in their sins be regenerated and come to life, then you must be willing to articulate to them with words the gospel of God because how will your loved ones ever believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved if they never hear it? And yet, brother Christian, sister Christian, That is just one side of the equation here in verse 14. Because we are also living at a time where we have no shortage of preachers and pastors and pontificators who have no problem using words in order to share a particular message. However, the message that they share is unfortunately not the gospel of God. For as the reformer Martin Luther wrote, A comet is a star that runs, for it is not fixed like a planet, but instead is merely a counterfeit among the planets, for it is a haughty and proud star and carries itself as if it were there all alone. And such is the nature of the false teacher who desires to be superior to others and in a class all to themselves, bragging and boasting and thinking that they are the only ones gifted with understanding." And thus, because of this arrogance, church, it is not hard to find, even within the realm of evangelical America today, pastors and teachers and preachers who do not preach the gospel of God, but instead who preach themselves, 
or who preach comical stories, pop psychology sessions, or leadership training seminars, or who preach about the most recent book they read, the most recent movie they watched, or the most recent topic trending on social media. Whereas Jesus Christ Church, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, the first and the last, the one who died and who came back to life, you know, the eternal Son of God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, when he came on to the scene, church, to begin his preaching ministry, he began by preaching not the message of Muhammad, not the message of Buddha, not the message of Darwin or Marx or Hawkins, not the message of Twitter or Facebook or that of the media, for he didn't do any of that, church. Instead, Jesus Christ simply came into the world, Christian, to proclaim one message and one message alone, that being the message of God, which is the only message with the power to save sinners from their sins and to take them from death to new life. Therefore, lovingly, let me encourage you this morning, Christian, for if you have friends who are not saved, siblings who are not saved, children or parents or any other loved ones who are not saved, do not be like the doctor then who knows the cure, who has the cure and who has the ability to share with them the cure, but who instead gives them something that is more pleasant to their palate, more acceptable to their mind, and less offensive to their soul, but will still only lead them to the gates of hell. Instead, Christian, give them what they need to escape the fires, to be cleansed of their sins, and to receive new life in Jesus Christ. Thus, give them, Christian, the message of God, not the message of man, not the message of business leaders today, not the message of how to live your best life now, but give them instead the gospel of Jesus Christ, also that they who are still dead in their sins can hear, believe, and ultimately be saved. Thus, never be ashamed, Christian, of articulating the gospel of God to a world that desperately needs to hear it, whether the season is favorable or not, since it is the only message out there, Christian with the power to save a sinner from their sins. Which brings us to point number two, which is, it is not enough to simply hear the gospel preached or to be confronted by the gospel, but in order to be saved by the gospel, one must repent and believe in the gospel. It is not enough to simply hear the gospel preached or to be confronted by the gospel, but in order to be saved by the gospel, one must repent and believe in the gospel. Verses 14 and 15. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So as we saw in verse 14, church, Jesus Christ, he came into Galilee preaching and proclaiming and articulating with words, not just some random fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants message about living your best life now, but instead Jesus Christ, he came into Galilee distinctly and clearly and unmistakably proclaiming, verse 14, the gospel of God. And saying, as verse 15 puts it, that the time is fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. In essence, that a 
massive, life-changing, world-altering type moment has come. That moment being, as Jesus Christ shares in verse 15, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, our Articles of Faith Church, they define or describe the kingdom of God as a kingdom that ultimately triumphs forever according to God's will. A kingdom that triumphs over Adam's fall via the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and redeems a people. A kingdom that triumphs over Satan and his rebellion and even over death itself. And a kingdom that will establish righteousness and justice and peace and that in the end will manifest itself in full glory over all creation forever and ever and ever. And thus, when Jesus Christ says in verse 15, church, that the kingdom of God is at hand, what he's saying, in essence, is that the king of that kingdom is now here. That the lion of Judah, that the promised Messiah, that the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he has now come. That the one who would be born of a virgin from the lineage of Abraham, a root of Jesse and an heir to the throne of David, that he now has arrived on the scene. That the one who would be numbered with the transgressors, forsaken by his father and make many to be accounted righteous, that he is now present. And thus Jesus Christ then the king and essence declares in verse 15 that if you then want to become part of the kingdom of God, if you then want to become a member of the kingdom of God, if you then want to become an eternal citizen in the kingdom of God, then you must, verse 15, repent and believe the gospel. For it is just that plain church, it is just that simple, that if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, then you must, must, must repent of your sins, confess your sins, turn from your sins, and place your trust in the only one who can forgive you of your sins, meaning verse 15, to believe in the gospel of God and to place your trust in the king. And this is so, so important for us to grasp, church. That being that in order for anyone to be saved, as in to be forgiven of their sins and to become citizens of the kingdom of God, that they must repent and believe the gospel. Meaning, church, you can hear the gospel message and not be saved. Understand the gospel message and not be saved. I mean, you can even have the content of the gospel mem message memorized inside and out and still not be saved. And not only that, church, but you can also know intellectually all about the gospel, know intellectually all about the works of Jesus Christ, and know intellectually all that the Bible says about the gospel and still not be saved. To which some of you might be sitting there this morning thinking, huh? I mean, how is that even possible, pastor, that one can have the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ correct and know intellectually all the intricacies of the gospel and still not be saved? Ken Davis Church, he shared this story about when he was in college and was asked to prepare a lesson to teach his speech class where he would be graded on his creativity and ability to drive home a point in a memorable way. The title of his speech was The Law of the Pendulum, where he spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle 
that a pendulum could never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. And after doing some small experiments in order to prove his point, he asked the class then, how many of you believe in the law of the pendulum? And all of his classmates raised their hands, including his teacher. However, he then hung a heavy weight from the metal beams in his classroom using a parachute cord. And he then invited his teacher to climb onto a table and to sit in a chair with the back of his head against the cement wall, to which he then brought the, met, the heavy metal weight up to his teacher's nose. And he said to them, if the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release the weight, it will swing across the room and return just sh short of the release point, and thus your nose will be fine. So after that, he looked his teacher in the eye and said, sir, do you believe that this law is true? To which the teacher nodded and said, yes. Thus he released the weight, and it made a swishing sound as it flew across the room. However, at the far end of its swing, it paused for a second and then started back directly at his teacher, to which his teacher literally dove from the table in order to flee from the swinging weight. Davis asked the class, does our teacher really believe in the law of the pendulum? To which the students unanimously cried out, no. James writes in James chapter 2, verse 19, that you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. For even the demons, church, they have heard the content of the gospel. For even the demons, church, know intellectually all of the theological intricacies of the gospel. However, the demons, church, they haven't placed their faith in the gospel. For the demons, church, they haven't placed their trust in the gospel. For the demons, church, they haven't pledged their allegiance to Jesus Christ the King. Thus, when Jesus Christ then comes proclaiming here in verse 15 that the kingdom of God is at hand, a choice then it needs to be made because you can't enter the kingdom of God through your own good works since they are nothing more than dirty rags to the king. And you can't enter the kingdom of God by trusting in Buddha or Mohammed or Confucius or the like since they are most definitely not the king. And you most certainly can't enter the kingdom of God via your own wisdom or by trusting in the science or by following the ways of man since the wisdom of man is absolute folly to the king. Thus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, then the requirements of the king are clear, that you must repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ the king. Because only those who trust in the king, who love the king, who submit to the king, and who pledge their ultimate allegiance to the king will be forgiven of their sins and become part of the kingdom of God. Thus, the question is this morning, morning, church, do you solely then trust in Jesus Christ, the King? And thus, as we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who was here first. And non-Christian, make no mistake this morning, if you did not hear me the first time, then please, please, please hear me now. 
For if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, then you must repent of your sin and believe in the gospel. Meaning you must acknowledge that you are a sinner, confess your sins before God, and place your trust in the only one who can forgive you of your sins, that being Jesus Christ, the King, the Son of God who came into this world, non-Christian, some 2,000 years ago, not to judge the world, not to curse the world, not to condemn the world to hell, but in order to save sinners like you and like me from their very sins. And he did it, non-Christian, by being born of a virgin, as truly God and as truly man, and by living for us the life that we could never live. Meaning Jesus Christ lived a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was righteous, and that although he was tempted by sin, just like you and I, Jesus Christ, he never sinned, and thus he fulfilled the law of God, non-Christian, perfectly and completely for the children of God. However, the work of Jesus Christ, it did not end there, non-Christian. For Jesus Christ not only kept the law of God for the children of God, but he also bore for the children of God the wrath that they deserve for their sins. And that Jesus Christ also willingly gave up his life, non-Christian, on a cross at Calvary and was crucified in the place of sinful man, although he himself never sinned. And yet, non-Christian, because Jesus Christ never sinned, Sin and death, then, they had no claim over him, no authority over him, and no power over him. And thus, since his sacrificial work on the cross completely appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children, three days later, Jesus Christ, he didn't stay dead in the grave, non-Christian, but instead he rose from the grave and defeated sin and destroyed death and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in the King of kings, in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day, I promise you, that you can be forgiven of your sins and become part of the kingdom of God forever. And to the Christian who is here this morning, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, we open this morning by reading in verse 14 simply, now after John was arrested, and I didn't give much time to it, or attention to it, or detail about it, however, if you think about it, John the Baptist, who was out in the wilderness as the forerunner for the Messiah, in the spirit of Elijah, preaching a baptism of repentance and baptizing all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem. And then, out of nowhere, we read in verse 14 that John the Baptist, the guy who some scholars estimate baptized some 300,000 people, and who humbly 
and faithfully and diligently prepared the way for the Lord like that, he's arrested. And this loyal and devoted and meek minister of the Lord is in essence gone. However, I was reminded this week, church, during my study by the late Reverend John Henry Byrne, that God is not dependent on any man to carry out his will. And thus, as Byrne writes, that although the workman be buried, whether in prison or in the grave, God can and will find a means to carry on his work. Therefore, I want to stress to you this morning, church, that no matter what happens in this world, that no matter who is elected, no matter what laws are passed, that no matter what tribulations you may face, that no matter who gets thrown in jail, and no matter even who passes away, that God can and he will find a means to carry on his work and bring forth his kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therefore, do not lose heart, Christian, when you see church attendance in the United States going down, or that the number of people who claim to be Christian in the United States going down, or that the number of persecuted Christians throughout the world is going up, but instead realize that God is sovereign, that God is omniscient, and that he cannot learn anything new, and that our God is not running around in heaven right now with his hair on fire thinking, what on earth am I going to do next? For as we saw in our text today, and again as Burns so astutely pointed out, that right after John the Baptist was arrested, that our God was ready for his son's ministry to replace, to succeed, and to ultimately supersede that of John's ministry, and to announce to the world that the kingdom of God is at hand, a kingdom that is going to expand and expand and expand, church, like that of a little mustard seed all the way until Jesus Christ comes again in order to consummate that kingdom once and for all. Therefore, be encouraged this morning, church, and do not lose heart no matter what you see taking place in the world around you today, because Jesus Christ, the King, he has already told you that he has overcome the world, and that he will come again in great power in order to gather his elect from the ends of the earth and to the ends of heaven, and that although the enemy sows seeds of the sons of evil into this world, And although the Father is allowing those weeds to grow in the midst of his wheat, please know, church, that the day is coming when those who make war with the king will be thrown into the fiery furnace, whereas those who have repented of their sins and placed their trust in the king, oh, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Therefore, whoever has ears this morning, let him hear. Fret not yourself over evildoers, Christian, but instead find peace, find confidence, and place your unwavering trust in the King of kings, in the Lord of lords, in our Savior church, in Jesus Christ the King. Thus is my prayer that we, as a church body, do not get run down by the ways of the world or fret ourselves over evildoers, but instead simply be willing to do the work of an evangelist and to profoundly hold forth to the word the gospel of God.
that being that we boldly call the world to repent of their sins and to place their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And that we as a church body also hold fast to the gospel of God as well and cling to the fact that we are only citizens of the kingdom of God because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Therefore, strengthen us, Father, to follow no one other than Jesus Christ the King, knowing that because of his work, there is now nothing that we need to fear in life or in death. Since Jesus Christ is our eternal King and we are now part of his eternal kingdom. Therefore, to the praise of our God's glorious grace, now and forevermore, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, and everlasting King. Let's pray, church. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the King, for Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life we couldn't live, paid the price we could never pay, rose again, ascended into heaven, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father forever and ever, who will come again to gather his elect from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. He will be our God and we will be his people and an eternal reality where we will cry out, holy, holy, holy. You alone, God, are holy. Father, we thank you that that reality is possible only through Jesus Christ, and as ambassadors now for Jesus Christ, let us not be like the doctor that does not give the cure to the world. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel, for in it, it is the power of salvation to those who believe. We have been called to throw gospel seed in every direction. We'll wake up the next morning and God will grow seed here or grow seed there. It is up to the Father in terms of where gospel seed grows. But we have been called to throw it everywhere. Give us a confidence then, Father, as your ambassadors, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ to be willing to articulate the message of God to a world that desperately needs it. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the conclusion of our service this morning, let's prepare our hearts and our minds, church, to take part in the Lord's Supper. For the Lord's Supper, or communion, it is a time where we as a church body, we get to testify to each other as a family our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a time that we remember the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, and it is a time, church, that we celebrate, that by faith in Jesus Christ our salvation is secure and that Christ will come again for his bride, the church. We here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church practice what is called open communion, as we invite all believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to partake. So if you are walking in fellowship with God and with other believers this morning, then you are welcome to join us at the Lord's table. How 